Greetings football fans, I'm Matt Davis-Adams and coming up on this edition of the Totally Football Show. Algeria superior in final that could hardly have been drearier as the biggest deflection since the last time Boris Johnson was asked about that whole bus thing hands the Desert Foxes the title of the Kings of Africa. Zinedine Zidane tells Gareth Bale it's not us, it's you as the golf-loving Welsh winger misses the cut in Real's pre-season plans. In America, Zlatan gonna Zlatan, by which I mean do some good football stuff and then talk some smack in a way only a man sporting a ponytail and goatee in 2019 would have the confidence to do. We'll give Aston Villa a long overdue mention and remember that hoo-ha over the new Huddersfield kit. Turns out it was just banter. This is the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Scatman's World. Yep, I'm surprised too, listener. Scatman John had more than one tune. As if you needed telling, that's the eponymous track from the album Scatman's World, which reached number one in Belgium, Finland, France, Germany, Hungary and Spain, but only number 10 in the UK and a measly 84 in Australia. It was released on the 19th of June, 1995. Duncan Alexander, you're back. So is there a link between that song and something particularly vague in the football world that you've in no way pre-prepared? Well, last week we found out you know, that John Barnes and Raheem Sterling were connected with, with Scatman. Um, it was a bit harder with this one because obviously the song, as you said, came out in June. So what I did is I looked up the top scoring player in Premier League history who only ever scored in 1995. Now that man with three goals is Maurizio Gaudino, who famously was the player rugby tackled by Boris Johnson in the charity game at the Majeski Stadium when he did that thing. So part of me thinks, is Scatman's world a warning about the actual real world from a long time in the past. Alongside Duncan, making his big return to the pod after a summer at the Euro Under-21s, the Women's World Cup and more, it's Daniel's story. What, what are you thinking of the new digs, Daniel? We are going to have air conditioning later on today, so I'll be slightly less sweaty. I like the fairy lights. They're a lovely addition. Uh, I said it felt a bit like a Radio 1 Live Lounge session recording studio, which is probably a compliment, I think. And you will be doing a, a slowed down acoustic version of a Miley Cyrus here. And a run, I think Snow Patrol Run is the, is the one to do classic go-to all right so much to cover today though some of it is filler to be honest but seeing as how this studio smells like a new car it's only appropriate we mention mr ibrahimovic because after ibra scored a hat-trick in the la derby aka el trafico including this butte on the left hat-trick for the man with all the tricks a true hollywood entertainer storylines abound with this man zlatan said I didn't work all my career to come to MLS just to be compared to Carlos Vela. The media made a huge mistake. You don't compare Ferraris with Fiat's. Tonight I showed I'm the best player in the league. Um, he also told LAFC's coach to go home, you little bitch, which will have gone down well in South Wales because LA's coach is the former Swansea manager, Bob Bradley. And then he tweeted, this is the Zlatster, I am LA. LA in this instance, presumably meaning loud and abrasive. Um, Daniel, this is classic Zlatan. Do you admire that swagger or is it all a bit kind of, yeah, mate? I, I really dislike him. There's this thing, in his, there's a story in his autobiography, which, which is all nonsense. By yeah, the way. which is all nonsense. But I think this story has been repeated again and again, and previously. So I think it probably is true. Where he's speeding in Sweden, and the police chase him, and his explanation of like it was all fine was I had a car that's faster than the police. I went at 170 miles an hour and got away from them. I'm like, that's well, just illegal. It just makes you sound like a. Dick. I really dislike him. It got it, it got tiring a long time ago well i mean a he should at least go with the ferguson style i had diarrhea which is the classic <laughs> go-to and b 
I mean, you mentioned earlier a man with a ponytail and a goatee, but he is in the right place. Los Angeles is probably the place <laughs> where people are like, yeah, that's a pretty good look. So, yeah, they're welcome to him. Where he, I don't particularly care for him personally either, but where does he rank in terms of footballers of his generation? Obviously, he won leagues pretty much wherever he went. He was pretty good for Man United that one season too. Yeah, I think he he's it's hard at the moment in this era because everyone is in this Messi and Ronaldo duopoly. It's very hard to judge players. I think players like, Gareth Bale will probably talk about Neymar, Ibrahimovic, can probably feel aggrieved that they haven't won a Ballon d'Or or been lifted higher than their peers because everyone else is on a kind of rung below Messi and Ronaldo. And I suspect that probably forms part of what irks him and what fuels this I am Zlatan uh, sugary shtick. He's slightly like a kind of web too. Eric Cantona, in the sense that he's much more annoying than Cantona, but he does give a team that little bit. I mean, United, when they had him, that one nearly whole season, was the only time since Ferguson's gone that they kind of looked and felt like Manchester United. So, um, you know, if he hadn't got injured in that Europa League game, maybe things would be different for him and Mo. It's it's worth saying that people that play with him, young players, do look up to him, and he is, by all accounts, very happy to look after them and school them and help them. This shtick is a purely a, a media fabrication. It, he is You couldn't work with someone that was like that all the time. And by all accounts, he isn't like that all the time, thank goodness. Um, but yeah, what we see is not particularly appealing. The important stuff um, really about this story is the, is the Ferraris and Fiat's bit. And Duncan, obviously, I'm going to ask you if you've got any other footballers you'd like to compare to cars. Well, I ended up looking at the car manufacturer page on Wikipedia for the first time um, and then had to transpose that with Premier League history. <laughs> Ford with 68 goals, Morgan with 31, Jag, we've got Phil Jagielka obviously and Ashkan Jagger. The, they combined for 23 goals, Bentley with 18 goals and then Audi, right, 13 goals, that's within the name. So you've got Claudio Reyna, Claudio Pizarro, Claudio Jakob and... Who else is there? Our old friend, Maurizio Gaudino. Daniel, you can't really follow that. No, I'm not even going to try, thank goodness. (laughs) Um, In terms of the best footballing cars, it's just Franz, isn't it? Yeah, Franz car. That's the answer. All right, that's quite enough of that. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. He needs to stop walking. I I ain't the one walking. Let's get Tom and put this back on. Let's go again. Seriously, man, you and me, we're done professionally. Christian Bale there, brother of Gareth. Not really. Though that expletive-ridden rant was, in my head at least, similar to what Zinedine Zidane said to Gareth Bale after leaving the winger out of Real Madrid's latest friendly in America. Speaking after the match against Bayern, Zizou told the press, we hope he leaves soon. It would be best for everyone. We're working on his transfer to a new team. Um, Duncan, he insists he's got nothing personal against (laughs) Gareth Bale. Why has he been so horrible to him? Well, he says that, but... I mean, I like to judge a man by his actions and he seems to have a pretty major issue with Bale. I mean, obviously, they want to sell him, but if they can't, you surely want to reintegrate the golfer. Um, And, yeah, I mean, Bale is still... You know, someone's compared... I saw the other day compared his numbers to Zidane's numbers at Real Madrid and Bale beats him in pretty much every category. He's still a very good player. But, yeah, it doesn't look like a match made in heaven. It's a shame it's sort of... Seems like it's going to end in this unsatisfactory way. And you think, Daniel, that he scored in two separate Champions League finals. He got that amazing Copa del Rey final goal against Barcelona. And he's kind of been kicked out the back door as if he's never contributed anything. Yeah, I think there's there's two probable issues. The first is that Bale is, is pretty unapologetically never really 
um, shall we say, embedded himself into Spanish culture. He hasn't really even attempted to learn the language, um, which doesn't help. And he hasn't really ever felt, although he's, he apparently enjoys Madrid, he hasn't really ever felt like Spain is, is home to him. I think Zidane wants to make a statement. I think if Zidane was a new manager this summer, maybe he would have played it a little bit more by the book. But the fact that he's got that history at Real means he can afford to do this. The club will back him. They've got Eden Hazard. They've got a host, a clutch of new signings. And they're probably as close to challenging, seriously challenging Barcelona for the title as they ever have been in the last few years. I think it's probably just a power play. And I think Bale is the four guy of that. And he's a pretty easy four guy for that because he's he's played a lot of football. He's played since he was 17 and he's he's getting on a bit now and his legs aren't what they were. He's got that kind of Michael Owen thing going on where three or four games, you see a bit of promise and then suddenly a hamstring injury comes along. And I think he's just an easy four guy. If you were his agent, Duncan, would you be saying, let's take that million pounds a week from China or let's go to PSG or let's not go to Man United because that just seems like it would be disastrous? Well, it depends on what he wants to do. And I mean, a bit like with Alexis Sanchez, his his wages are so big that a club can't just go, OK, well, even if Madrid said, look, have him for free, it's going to be very hard for a normal club to, to fund it. Um, obviously, certain clubs in China or wherever could, but does Bale want to do that? I mean, he, seem, he seems you know, particularly settled in Madrid um, and unwilling to move. And, you know, we are in a situation where he could just see out his contract. I think if he, if he does go to China, it, it's probably easier to get him out of China than it is to get him out of Real Madrid in so much as he will earn so much there that that might well fund a, a loss further down the line. And it looks it looks an easier buy from China. It looks like he would be much more ready to leave. So if it, it could be kind of a la Rafa Benitez. It's almost just a, a make-do until something better comes along. Yeah, and if you do a year in China on a million pounds a week, then mm. that's really all you need to do. Yeah, although, I mean... He, he should cover your losses. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's on, he's on pretty good money at Real Madrid. I, I don't think... Yes, a million pounds a week is a lot of money, but I don't think money needs to be the be-all and end-all in any decision Bale makes. All right, well, that's Gareth Bale. Um, Zlatan and Zizou, not the only people who've been saying some funny things. Here's Maurizio Pochettino in a press conference before Spurs' game with Juventus in Singapore, in which Harry Kane got his Beckham on by scoring from halfway. With different, should be different results after the final, maybe can think in to say, OK, maybe it's a moment to out of the club and maybe to, to, to give the club the possibility to a new a real new chapter with with a, with a new coaching coaching staff to finish like Daniel this, you're a big Poch fan players. are you surprised by this he, he had a, he, he hinted at it before the Champions League final too, yeah he? he did I, th- I think it knowing him as we do I think it's the message he's sending is a kind of reminder to not really Tottenham fans but certainly to Daniel Levy to say remind them that they're they're lucky to have him and they are lucky to have him given what they did last season and given let's face it the jobs that could have come up that didn't um Manchester United Real Madrid the two obvious ones and the fact that he hasn't moved there I think it's just a reminder to say look remember I could have gone here I could have probably sat out and taken one of the best jobs in the world to come up next season but I'm here so make the most of me they have only signed um and Dombele is the, the major signing. They have sold Kieran Tripper. They are selling Danny Rose. They do need more. And I think it's probably just a timely message to, to Daniel Leave to say, look, let's make, having kept me, let's make the most of it. Is it a hollow threat though, Duncan? Because at the minute, it, there's nowhere else for him to go, is there? Juventus have just appointed a new manager. Madrid have got Zidane back. Solskjaer's got it till at least November. Yeah, I think that's the one, isn't it? I think Solskjaer, it may all go well. But also, equally, he may be gone by November, December, January. And I think that's the time Pochettino probably would go, I think. 
Would you do that, Daniel, if you were Pochettino? Would you see that as an upgrade to go to Man United now? I think part of the reason that for reminding people how well he's doing is that he is... This is a relationship that works for both parties. While he is still at Tottenham and improving his reputation, actually, it'd be pretty silly to move because we've seen time and time again that reputations can go south pretty quickly at, at Manchester United more than any other club. Uh, but there is certainly a, a hardwired ego within every football manager that says, if I can be the man to take Manchester United back to the pinnacle, then... I'm set for life. My reputation is effectively set for life. And Don Bailey, the big signing for Spurs so far, but um, I'm sure we all saw that lovely picture of Mopo posing with Mopo mm. Jr., uh, who has signed uh, a pro contract, I guess. He's, what, 18 years old. Um, so he is staying there. And then that got us thinking about father and son combinations. Obviously, we've got Brian and Nigel and, uh, and Archie and Scott Gemmell too at the two-time European champions. The... The rest of them, not particularly impressive, though, Duncan. Sir Alex and, and Darren Ferguson at all. It, it doesn't seem to, to generally work that well. Yeah, I mean, Darren Ferguson, he played in 36% of United's games in 92-93, but in four of their six defeats. So I don't think he's entirely to blame. Um, he only played in seven games fewer than Canton, actually, that season for United. Um, generally, what happens is a, a son isn't as good as their dad. I mean, Frank Lampard's probably... The, the reverse of that but yeah I mean Alex Bruce he played for two different countries his dad famously didn't even play for one Paul Dalglish you know as soon as Hullet came to Newcastle he loaned him out to Norwich because Paul Dalglish said he didn't like my dad um, and then Nigel Clough who remains the top scoring player in Premier League history whose name ends in uh <laughs> as did his time at Forest um, Tony Pulis's son Anthony he was at Portsmouth with him, made zero appearances in uh, in two years. Mancini's son, Andrea, at Man City under-21s. I've got a good, a good one from trawling, preparation-wise. Uh, in the very early 20th century, a manager called Bob Jack was Plymouth manager for about 30 years, and he picked three of his sons for the team over a period of 15 years, which is a great nepotism. <laughs> a long time ago, it seems, we were talking about Spurs. Daniel, how come nobody's bid for Christian Eriksen? It's... it's Weirdly similar to Pochettino in that it feels a good fit for a lot of places, but they've they've chosen other and in some ways unexpected routes. I, th- I, th- I think Real Madrid was where he probably expected to end up, but they haven't even signed Paul Pogba. So, and I think he's above Christian Eriksen in that queue after Eden Hazard of those Premier League recruits. Um, he doesn't appear to be a player that's going to kick up an enormous amount of fuss and that there's also not a huge amount to lose out of playing very well this season and, and being everyone's first choice next summer I don't think I mean he actually said didn't he um, I'd like to leave but if no one comes in for me oh, I'll just get on with it which is yeah. refreshingly <laughs> prosaic um, last Spurs thing their new kit's not very good is it it's it's kind of just boring and as was last season it's always annoying for supporters when you get a template kit that's got like no blue bum bag bit on it and that's about it uh, I think overall and I'm prepared to be shot down heavily here Tottenham struggle to have good kits I can't really think of that many good Spurs kits um, but then you know Harry Kane scoring from long range was partly makes up for it I guess yeah Co- Coventry have sort of blown everyone out of the water this year haven't they their kits are the the throwback to the kind of Denmark style Hummels kit and it's made a lot of supporters I think go oh actually yeah why can't we have a, a really nice retro kit like that um, and Spurs is one of those that you know like they're 
kit, cup final kits in the 80s. be perfect. Go for that. But it just doesn't work with the sponsors. Speaking of kits, remember last week when everyone was all hot and bothered about Huddersfield's new shirt with the Paddy Power sash? Well, it was all just a wheeze. Uh, P-Dub's going to be sponsoring Huddersfield and Motherwell this season by not having their name on the kit and keeping the front of the shirt pure, which is definitely a good thing. It got us thinking about the worst kit sponsors of all time. Producer Ben has thankfully written a, a nice and comprehensive list. My favourite on it, Daniel, is Scarborough and Black Death Vodka. Can you improve yeah, that's on that? That's nice. That's good. I, I think my, the low point Premier League era for me was um, Portsmouth's tie, Beanie the make of Beanie Babies. Yeah, and Sheffield Wednesday Chupper Chubs was a good one as well. Mogwai, the loud Scottish band, once sponsored a primary school for kids with um, who are hard of hearing, which kind of works. Um, I mean, you get the what my theory with kit sponsors is whatever, whatever the kit sponsors are when you're around 10, 11, 12, they're the ones you remember. Like, I can remember late 80s, early 90s sponsors like that, but you ask me now, and, and you know, I mean, Liverpool Crown Paints, they've had Standard Chartered for two years longer now than they had Crown Paints, wow. but for me, it's Crown Paints all day long. Uh, West Brom and the no smoking sign in the mid 80s was a pretty good one too. Newcastle haven't had a great recent record, have they? Northern Rock and Wonga, enough said. Uh, abroad, AC Milan and Poo Jeans. Um, and then Arsenal, remember having to play that Champions League game away to Juventus without Sega on the front of their shirt because Sega means something unpleasant in Italian. Quite like there was a couple of seasons when Wolves were sponsored by Doritos, which was quite yes. specific. Yes. Um, yeah. Kettering Town were the first team to ever have a shirt sponsor. Really? Which was Kettering Tyres, and they broke a lot of FA rules. Um, the FA were like, this was like before they approved sponsorship. Um, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll get rid of it. And then they came out the next game with Kettering T underneath. And they were like, well, well, hang on. We suspect this is still about Kettering Tyres. They're like, no, 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 we're Kettering Town. Um, but then they made them get rid of it. But then a year later, they went, actually, you know, everyone can have sponsors. Honourable mention too to the time that Wet 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 sponsored Clyde Banks' kit in the early 90s. Uh, they were good times. Anyway, enough of all that. Time to hear from our sponsor. Paddy Power knows the very best way to sponsor a team is by unsponsoring them. That's why we're launching the Save Our Shirt campaign. And that's why Huddersfield Town's kit won't have our logo on it at all. Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt? Paddy Power. Save Our Shirt. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Shall we quickly whiz around who's done what on their pre-season tours? Yes. Manchester United beat Inter 1-0 in Singapore. Mason Greenwood looking very impressive by all accounts. Um, Daniel, I saw him destroy Chelsea almost single-handedly in the Youth Cup last season. Looks like he'll be getting some minutes in the upcoming season, particularly if Lukaku gets the move uh, that he and Antonio Conte seem so keen on. Is he worth the hype, Greenwood, or is he a classic pre-season poster boy? He does look good. He does look good. But not only is it a big ask for him to do that in regular season, it's a big old ask for, for Ole Solskjaer to pick him in regular season because even if Manchester United sell Romelu Lukaku and don't buy, and I, I don't suspect both of those things will happen... Um, there's a heck of a lot of competition in that squad and there's a heck of a lot of pressure on, on Ole Solskjaer to, to perform. United have kind of, through their own incompetence, have managed to get themselves in this scenario where finishing above Arsenal and Chelsea, both in flux, would feel like a real success finishing fourth. But then by no means guaranteed to do that. And I just, I think it's League Cup minutes he gets more than anything. Yeah, you know, he might get 10 minutes at the end of a league game, but they haven't been winning that many games comfortably. And Ferguson used to bring on those players when they were 3-0 up after 60 minutes, and that just doesn't happen anymore. 
Elsewhere, Man City missed four penalties in their Asia Cup game against Wolves. Also in that competition, Newcastle won their first game under Steve Bruce, 1-0 against West Ham. Uh, he's had an exciting few days. He says he's going to get tough on John Joe Shelby and Carl Darlow after they were apparently involved in a scrap outside a Northumberland nightclub at 3am. None of that sounds classy. Nor does Shelby allegedly responding to being called a bald so-and-so by telling the perpetrator, go back to your council house, you peasant. I mean, on the plus side, you don't hear the word peasant used yeah. very um, much. It sounds quite blackadder, that, that mm, retort. Yeah. I don't know if Shelby's a fan of blackadder, but it sounds very good. Uh, Bruce has been dropping names left, right and centre, by the way. Apparently, Alan Shearer told him not to take the job, but David Beckham swoon did. Well, there you go. Uh, elsewhere, prior to their 2-1 defeat to Sevilla in a game memorable for a somewhat spicy tackle from Sevilla's Horis Nannon, Liverpool lost 3-2 to Dortmund with the Germans scoring twice in five minutes. Rian Brewster, fourth goal in three games. Harry Wilson also on the score sheet. Duncan, any chance those two actually get in the Liverpool first-team squad next season? Or Wilson's been linked with a move away. Brewster probably alone? Yeah, I think from what Klopp said, Bruce has probably got a chance of being the, the backup to the, the front three this season. Um, and yeah, it looks pretty good. Strangely, Liverpool have been having Andy Lonergan in goal at the moment, which he's not actually a Liverpool player. He's just kind of helping out. I once saw him play on loan for Wickham away at Grimsby on a Friday night in 2005. And if you told me 14 years later he'd be playing with the European champions in America, I'd have said, oh, right, OK. I mean, I would ban pre-season from being allowed out of the house you know it should just happen and then you turn up on the first day and you're like oh we've signed this player we've sold that player and it just behind closed doors it's rubbish yeah I was doing Chelsea's game against Kawasaki Frontale and I must be honest it's one of the worst games of football I've ever seen in my life it was won by Leandro Damiao he probably wrote a lot of football 365 articles about how he was going to Spurs Daniel yeah he's one of those with um, who is the Benfica winger that Man United were Nicholas Gaitan who was constantly with Manchester United yeah he's one of those it never quite happened and it's probably fair to say he's found his natural with no offence intended to a a league you work on, Matt. He's probably found his natural footballing home now, I think. Yeah, hoping tomorrow's um, game in Japan for Chelsea against Barcelona will be a bit more fun. Daniel, you wrote a, a piece last week, a very good piece, about how this could be the season the top six cabal could be broken up. Is that mainly because Arsenal are being a bit rubbish and not signing anyone? Yeah, it's a bit of both. I think Arsenal, you're exactly right, they're in a state of, of lethargy and it doesn't look like all these protests and discussions between club and owner are actually going to bring anything fruitful in terms of more transfer budget. So yeah, I think they're definitely vulnerable. I think Chelsea are vulnerable if if they are agreeing to take this transfer ban, it looks like they are, and therefore they are going to stick rather than twist and they are going to use Frank Lampard and Jody Morris to bring through some young players. That's very, you know, it's a it's a change of ethos, but it's it's a change of ethos through necessity rather than through desire, really. So I think they're vulnerable, and, and we've talked about Manchester United. But also, having said that, it's not just their slump. There is there is some great progress in those clubs below. Wolves obviously finished seventh last year. Leicester look between Rodgers arriving in the end of the season. Leicester took more points than Arsenal, Man United, and Tottenham. You know he's already shown what he can do. He's got Yuri Tillemans in a permanent deal. West Ham of front five looks good. So I think, I genuinely think it will be a good season. I am also completely prepared to eat my words and everyone finishes sort of slumps 10 points clear of everyone else. But I'm hopeful. We shall see. It is uh, August the 9th, isn't it? The first game of the season. We're kicking off with a a Friday night Premier League match, which, which feels quite lovely. Right, enough from me for a moment. Let's hear from an old friend. 
Hey, listeners, it's me, James Richardson, taking a break from the world's strongest men and model railway enthusiasts to tell you that it's not long now till the new season. And excitingly, we're going to be doing a Totally Football Live in London at the South Bank Centre. It's happening on the evening of Monday, September the 30th, when I'll be joined on the stage by mystic of the statistic Duncan Alexander and continental heartthrobs Julian Laurence and James Horncastle, one of whom is actually from Hull. If that sounds like your sort of night out, then head to the southbankcentre.co.uk, search for Totally Football Live, and then click on the nice purpley picture of me. That's Totally Football Live at the South Bank Centre, Monday, September the 30th. Get your tickets at southbankcentre.co.uk and see you soon. AC Jimbo there and Nick Millers here. How was your birthday, Nick? Oh, it was very nice. Went for a very long lunch, drank a lot of wine. It was delicious. Classic mid-30s birthday. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Pints of wine or classic glass? I saw the way that that worked out for Big Sam and um, stayed well clear. I, was in, I think I was in bed at 10 o'clock on but, Saturday night. But you're still our keynote speaker. Um, so with me, you and Daniel in the pod, that's three of the four highest low-profile Forest fans in the world, the fourth being Sue Pollard, of course. Uh, but we're not going to talk about the two-time European champions. We're going to talk about the one-time European champions, Aston Villa, back in the Premier League for the first time in three years. Riesel McFeasel, probably not his real name, says the AVFC embargo on the Totally Football show continues despite our Premier League status. The sacrilege continues. Uh, we have spoken at length about Sheffield United and a bit about Norwich, so we ought to talk about Villa too. They've spent almost 100 mil on new players, but it's not a, a Fulham 2018 kind of thing. Well, no, they seem, it's, it all seems to be a little bit more organised than Fulham. The Fulham signed quite a few of their players last summer in the last few days of the transfer window some sort of mad trolley dash around Europe to just find players because they seem to belatedly realise they didn't have any but yeah Villa six of the players they used in the playoff final were either loans or the contracts were expiring so they needed to buy some of those players Tyrone Mings obviously and they bought some um, some players from uh, abroad that you know might be slightly more of a risk but that you know they had to spend a lot of money and the idea that kind of Spending a lot of money and you know, jazzing a lot of uh, a lot of cash on players at this stage is kind of skewed by the fact that they didn't work for Fulham. But um, I'm stealing a, a stat here from Sky Sports that the last of the last six sides promoted sides who spent over uh, a net spend of over 50 million, five of them stayed up and Fulham were the ones that went down. So it's not as if this is a kind of particularly sort of irresponsible strategy. And they've got that kind of funk that hung around them for a season after they were relegated off the club by and large. Now it feels a bit kind of fresher with Dean Smith, the big Villa fan, as the the manager playing decent brand of football. It's not that horrible, stodgy, took forever to get relegated relegation that we saw from them last time they were in the Premier League kind of feel around Villa Park. Yeah, there certainly seems to be a lot more optimism around the place. It's interesting that you can't really... I'm not sure how you can really kind of take much from their season as a whole in the championship because it was so split into two halves. Uh, they had obviously had that brilliant run springtime, which got them into the playoffs, and um, so you can't really say, well, you know, the defence was not very good in the championship, so maybe they need to improve that because um, there was such a, a, a strange split in their season last season. They have signed Matt Target, obviously who um, only has a shot on target once every seven games on average, which for me 
is not doing what it says on the tin. Uh, so they got Matt Target in, but Daniel, they're not going to have Tammy Abraham by the looks of things. He's going to be staying at Chelsea. 26 goals, going to be difficult to replace, and they're going to need to get somebody of a higher quality than that. Well, they've attempted to with Wesley Moraes for, for 20 million, which seems a lot for a promoted club to spend, but then 20 million doesn't get you any more than a gamble these days. Uh, I was quite surprised they didn't go for Alexander Mitrovic. I know he's stayed at Fulham, but I, I, I thought they might have tried to get another striker out of the championship rather than go abroad. Dean Smith strikes me as, and being very sweeping here, but he doesn't strike me as a man who has been watching a lot of Wesley Marais over the last couple of years. So it is a gamble, um, but they haven't got a choice but to gamble because... You spend £40 million on a gamble. Tell you what, let's get a few odds on Villa and some of the things we've been discussing so far. Is that part of the show you've all been missing? Here's producer Ben, who's been speaking to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Matt Davis Adams. Yes, listeners, this is producer Ben, and I'm back with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, it has been far too long. What have you been up to? I've missed our chats, Ben. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, all we need now is Jimbo to return, and football is finally with us again. All right, Lee, we've just been talking about Aston Villa, so let's go for the big one here. Is Dean Smith going to be sacked and John Terry in charge of Villa before the end of the season? Dean Smith's done a good job at Villa, hasn't he? But whatever he does, the ghost of John Terry will always be there lurking over his shoulder. And when he does leave the job, you can be confident that John Terry will be amongst the favourites to succeed him. Which probably explains why it's a, quite a short price. It's 7-2 to two that Smith leaves Villa this season and Big JT takes over. I'm sure he's got the kit already. So that's Dean Smith at Villa. What about Steve Bruce similarly not lasting the season at Newcastle? <laughs> the world's favourite author. It does seem a foregone conclusion, doesn't it? Especially as Mike Ashley has given Steve Bruce a three-year contract. Therefore, it's odds-on that Brucey leaves Newcastle before the end of the season. And it's only 17-10 to 10 that it's gone by Christmas. Daniel Storey was mentioning a little earlier about the top six cabal. What are the chances of Arsenal not making that? Yeah, brutal, but the odds aren't even that long. It's 7-4, to four, Arsenal finished 7th or lower. Imagine that. That price does sound damning, but before you start panicking, Gunners fans, it is odds on 2-5 to five that you do finish in the top six. Although I'm not sure you get a trophy for that or not. And finally, Rian Brewster. Can he score 10 goals or more for Liverpool this season? Hmm, this could be a good one, this one. Yeah, Sturridge has moved on, although his dog hasn't, thankfully. And the big three at the front will need protecting. But it might not be a case of Brewster's millions just yet. Divock Origi, the Champions League hero, has signed a new deal after all. So it's 7-2 to two that Brewster nets 10 or more goals in all competitions. Then again, I could just as easily imagine a January loan move for him. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Finally this week, the season has officially ended. As Karl Anka confidently predicted last week, Algeria beat Senegal in the final of the Africa Cup of Nations. It was a terrible game. Here's Manny Jasmi, who was at the final for the BBC's World Football Podcast. He can tell us more. Yeah, it was a horrible, horrible match. I mean, finals traditionally aren't supposed to be any good anyway. But this wasn't even uh, because it was tense or because they were nervous. It was just really, really bad. And the goal that won it was so fluky. 
Baghdad Bunajah, who scored, um, had spent most of the tournament before that moment missing uh, one-on-ones. So I suppose it was fitting that he would do it via a, via a ridiculous deflection. But then after that, I mean, Senegal had you know a couple of chances, really good chances, but they didn't take them. And they, it was Algeria. I mean, up until that point, Algeria had been really attacking in their previous games. They'd been very proactive, quite sophisticated, but they just they just completely left all of that in the hotel. And so it was it was a relief that actually Senegal, who deserved an equaliser, didn't actually score one because that would have taken us into extra time and a half an hour more of that kind of punishment. So congratulations to Algeria. They really, really wanted it. And the celebrations back in Algiers and the thousands of fans who uh, flew to uh, Cairo were, were allowed in just by showing their passport at the gate. You know, it meant a great deal to them and the players, but that final will... I mean, it's it's a luck, it's lucky that we're talking on Monday, uh, three days after the final, because a couple of more days, and I don't really think I would have rem- remembered much about it to tell you. Manny, this was a summer AFCON instead of a winter tournament. Can we judge it as a success or more trouble than it was worth? Well, I think there are arguments on both sides. The, the pros of having this in the summer is that the players, the top players, don't have to worry about their clubs. They don't have to feel guilty about missing a month in the season, in the middle of the season. Always under pressure, frankly, for their national team to lose, so they could go back to the people who pay them. Um, and also, it meant that the the coaches had time with them, proper time with them, instead of you know the. the the stars turning up two days before their opening match, they were together for a few weeks. They had training camps, they had friendlies. It was a proper preparation. The downside was the heat, especially in the uh, group stage when there were three games a day. The first game was often really slow uh, and not particularly interesting. Um, and so I think I, I think I think CAF will continue with this. The uh, the trouble they have now, of course, is that in two years' time, um, they will clash with the Club World Cup, which will mean that if Sadio Mane and uh, Mohamed Salah are still with Liverpool, they won't be they won't be there because Liverpool guaranteed a place, and they will be expected to field their best players in the tournament, which is also in June. So that's a problem they have to worry about. But I think in, in this in this case, I think they've been vindicated by holding it in the summer. Daniel, 363 days since Sadio Mane began pre-season with Liverpool. He'll only have a couple of weeks rest before the new campaign gets underway on the 9th of August. We probably are then going to see Rian Brewster and Divock Origi at the start of the season, given that Salah and Firmino have all also had busy summers. Yeah, maybe Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain too, if he's, if he's raring to go after a full pre-season. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he should be absolutely shattered. He seems to be a player who... Um, likes playing football there's some players like a full summer rest I suspect Sadio Mane is a kind of happy-go-lucky footballer who would be more than happy to hit the ground running in in in, you know in August but Jurgen Klopp will have to manage that because they've got the Super Cup Uh, I think August the 14th they play the Super Cup which is not you know it's not a friendly and it's but it's not a major trophy but Liverpool want to win that and that's going to come less than a month after he's played another final so it's 
ridiculous really but yeah he has to manage it has to manage it because Mane was arguably Liverpool's best player last season I'd say and it's a heck of a task to replace him with a either a kid or someone he missed most of last season with injury um, speaking of the new season, the Europa League is in full swing. So my catching results, Daniel, how come it's not good to be a Kilmarnock fan this Monday morning? So, yeah, there were, there were two massive shocks. The Kilmarnock one was the lesser of the two, but they managed to go out over two legs. You know, this is not just a one-off tie, but two legs against Connors Key. And bear in mind... They've done the hard thing and gone away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Getting a result away at the Nomads is, is no easy uh, easy task. But they, the Scottish, I think I was saying, the Scottish Challenge Cup is the one where Welsh teams go into that competition with Scottish teams and they, and they regularly get beaten by second and third division Scottish teams. So that was a massive result. But the bigger result was in was in Croatia, was in split, where Hajduk, who had a, a pretty wretched start to last season and then rebounded, finished top three in Croatia, qualified for the Europa League and then ma- somehow managed to go out to Jazeera United, of, who finished third in the Maltese League last season. They were three goals up on aggregate at half-time in the second leg at home against this Maltese side and somehow conspired to concede twice and then concede a 96th minute goal to be knocked out. I've seen a video and I've been to to, to split to, to watch them play and the fans are uh, aggressive if things aren't going their way at the best of times. But I've seen a video of of the aftermath of that defeat and it yeah, it's something to behold because... That it's arguably the biggest shock in European club football, I think, over the last decade, probably. Sounds like the dressing room was split, if anything. Word for uh, for the Connors Key Nomads manager, Andy Morrison, former Manchester City player. Oh, the big fella used yeah. to play in midfield for Man City. Arguably the heaviest player in Premier League history, although I can't actually back that up with, with data. But he also only made four starts ever in the Premier League. Three yellow cards, which is a, a level Strong. of commitment that I will James always James Perch-esque. Yeah. <laughs> OK, that's it for this pre-season totally. I know I'm feeling sharp and ready for a loan to a lower league side or indeed the Totally Football League show. Um, Duncan, how strongly would you recommend that people listen to the Bradley Wiggins show ahead of the final week of the Tour de France? I w- would say if you're interested, then do it. And I was trying to think this morning, this is going to go down as one of the best Tour de France's in the last 30 years. And it's quite similar football-wise, to the 2015-16 season, where a lot of the big favourites are not looking you know, on form, and yeah, it could go any way. Um, yeah. Uh, producer Ben says, did you know there'll be special bonus mini-episodes this week with Sir Brad and Matt Stevens giving their super hot takes right at the end of each stage? I do now. Daniel, Duncan's got a strict rule that you can only like two sports. Is cycling your second? Do you even have a second? Cricket's probably my second, I think. Um, I like cricket. I'm not going to talk about that much on here because we don't have a totally cricket show. Uh, Although Nick Miller might have something to say about that. Well, it's only a matter of time, I'm sure. Um, Finally this week, some personal news. The Athletic have shown no interest in me whatsoever, so I'm back on Thursday with Rafa Honigstein and Natalie Jadra. Don't miss that. If there's something you want us to cover, let us know by sending a tweet at The Totally Show. And don't forget to get your tickets for Totally Football Live at the South Bank Centre this September. Southbankcentre.co.uk for the last few hundred remaining. Thanks for listening. What say we do it all again on Thursday? You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. 
that's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.